This is Lynn Leggett from Victory Dental Management, coaching you on how to lead your team to success. You are listening to Hashtag POD, Podcast of Dentistry with Dr. Panks. podcastofdentistry.com slash squadcast. I believe everyone has a story to tell. And if you want to start a podcast to tell your story, the easiest way to start one is Squadcast. No special hardwares, no special softwares needed for you or your guests. You simply start podcasting using any laptop or desktop or Android phone and even a Chromebook in a browser like Chrome, Firefox, Opera, Brave. So, you may ask, how did you do it? Well, it's simple. As a host, you simply schedule an interview on your dashboard. Share that particular link to the guest and hit record to get studio quality audio. Done. Simple. No sign-ups needed by your guests. No special mics needed by anyone. And still get studio quality audio. There can be up to four people at one time, including the host. You can even see the video of your guests. Connect any earphone or headphones with mic and you're golden. When you're done, simply stop recording and everything with separate tracks is automatically uploaded on your dashboard, ready to download in no time. Most of the basic audio editing is also automatically done when you download. Well, guess what? This particular podcast was recorded on Squadcast. Do I not make any sense? Well, they do have demo videos on their website to show you exactly how it is done. I did use the support and they have best-in-the-class support. They are so confident in their services that they have even compared their services with other competitors. Another thing that gives me peace of mind is redundancy. That means that even if there is some error, you can still get the backup of all the recordings sent to you in your email through your dashboard. So, if you really like the idea of starting your own podcast, podcastofdentistry.com slash squadcast. The subscription starts only at $10 per month. You can cancel anytime through your account without making any calls or any chains of emails. Super easy. Once again, to support this show, simply go to podcastofdentistry.com slash squadcast. Give it a try. Welcome to Hashtag POD, Podcasts of Dentistry at podcastofdentistry.com. Today's podcast, we have a very popular guest, Dr. David Moffat. Now, everyone knows Dr. David Moffat, but not like this podcast. We were able to uncover a different aspect of his personality today. The most important thing I realize is that we do not need to reinvent the wheel when David Moffat has spent years learning from different coaches and has almost perfected the art of coaching and business. So he shares a great information about his coaching journey. He's not a self-proclaimed coach who hasn't walked the walk, but he has really walked the walk, being a dentist and has shown results that really matter. He shares what he has learned from uh, dental and non-dental coaches like Zig Ziglar, Dan Kennedy and so on. No wonder he coaches and has coached in many countries of the world. 
including US, Australia, Denmark, Ireland, and so on. Of course, he talks about his ultimate patient experience protocol. We did not spend a lot of time discussing about it, honestly, because it has been discussed in all the other podcasts. And that is what makes this podcast entirely different. It was a good interview. And I was surprised that he sprinkled some great quotes throughout the interview. Those quotes can also be seen at podcastofdynasty.com slash session 14. And the great thing about this podcast, which makes it different, is music. If you love music, then you will love our discussion about the great music of all the time. We talked in great length about music, service in music industry, and Gene Simmons, of course, from Kiss fame. Customer service is what makes or breaks a brand, and that is clearly amplified in today's interview. Now, did you know that David is actually a radio announcer too? Well, we talk about that too. With all these crazy discussions, we also talked about my favorite Tim Ferriss-inspired questions. Believe me, we learned so much in this last half an hour of the podcast that it deserves a special mention. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did. So let's welcome Dr. David Moffitt. I think um, uh, it would be interesting to uh, talk about, uh, you said uh, Zig Ziglar, why don't we start yep. on that? No, we, we, well, it's it's all part it's all part of my journey. You know, I'm 60 years old, so I've not been a dentist, and I've been a dentist. Now I'm not a dentist anymore. So yeah. um, I got influenced by uh, Ziegler, uh, yeah. Jim Rohn, Tom Hopkins. Um, and this, was there someone else? Those three, very much so. In uh, mm-hmm. in the, I'm just trying to think what years it was. In the early 90s. In okay. the early 90s, I was looking at dentistry. Uh, you know, I'd been a dentist for 10 years, had my own practice for six years. Yeah. I was looking outside of dentistry at um, non-dental businesses as well. Okay. And somebody put me onto the uh, Ziegler set of tapes on goals. Right. And I found them very, very interesting. And, and around that time, too, I think about 1994, uh, Jim Rohn was coming to Australia and he was doing some tours and I saw Jim Rohn a couple of times, did a couple of uh, evening shows with him, did a couple of uh, weekend um, workshops with Jim Rohn, mm. a couple of weekend workshops with Tom Hopkins as well. Mm. And so I realized that this was something that was lacking in dentistry. Dentistry is very much on the how to be a dentist, right. but it isn't so much on the, the, the conversation side of dentistry. You know, the the art of of selling you know dentistry is a grudge buy it's something that people need but they very rarely understand why they need it and they need what they need the dentistry for Mm -hmm. and so uh, in in life we do need the skills to be able to persuade people to take the path that they need to take because especially with dentistry it's you know they they can't often they can't see what's wrong in with their teeth um, they go in, they have it treated, they walk out, they have no feeling, they have no, no visual of what's being done, right. but they know that they have a hole in their wallet. And <laughs> so you really need to be able to um, justify that value. expense. Yeah, the value. And the, and the value. And, and, the val- and, and for something that is invisible, right. you know, we know it's there, you know, we can show them pictures, but but really... Uh, they don't understand what the pictures are. They can't read x-rays. 
the, all they show, see if they see a photo of teeth is pink and white. That's all they see. They don't really understand. We can explain it. Right, but, right, right. Uh, they don't really understand. I remember. I can remember waking up after a colonoscopy and the doctor showing me photos. And I'm thinking it's just pink. What is it? Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand. He's telling me everything's okay, and it's the same in dentistry. People have really no idea. So we we have to sell the experience. Uh, why should they come to us? Why should they go some? Why should they not go somewhere else? and save money, um, why do we look after them? And it's through the, uh, these, um, these uh, non-dental mentors that I had, mm-hmm. even, I even went to Tony Robbins a couple of times as well, but yeah. these non-dental people, Jim Rohn and Ziegler, they, they really talk about the, the, the skills of persuasion and, okay. and the language of, of being able to, uh, you know, not trick people, but to be able to converse with people and and you know people do business with people they like panks and that's that's what we have to do in dentistry and it's not hard to be different from our other dental um, colleagues because most of them have no personality and need personality and uh, because they have no personality uh, it, their businesses suffer yeah um, back uh, you know eight or nine years ago um, I employed a copywriter from Florida. He was actually from New York. Okay. And he told me, you know, he goes to his dentist every six months, and he, he believes that if he saw his dentist out in the, in the street and walked up to him and said hello, his dentist, um, he said he, he wouldn't know me unless I spat in his face. He said he would not know who I am. He right. doesn't talk to me when I come in. He just comes in, looks at my teeth, and then goes. Right. And there's no conversation. In fact, so much so that when... My, my copywriter's wife needed some cosmetic work. They actually drove 20 miles to another dentist because mm. they didn't even like the dentist that he goes to. They were, so he was looking at his dentist as a commodity. Right, right, right. And I, that's, that's what I, I never wanted my dentistry to be. I wanted my, my dentistry to be about family, friends and family. So, so basically uh, you used uh, non-dental experiences uh, with Zig Ziglar, uh, Tim Ryan, Tom Hopkins, uh, what did you learn among uh, these group of people uh, apart from uh, what you mentioned? Uh, what exactly, what are two things that you might have learned that actually implement helped you implement their level of uh, experience in dentistry? Well, I think with Ziglar and Ryan especially, the power of their stories Okay. Um, yes, Ziegler was really a pots and pans um, door-to-door salesman. Yeah. You know, that, that's his background. Roan built uh, his fortunes in um, multi-level marketing. And, mm. uh, you know, pots and pans and multi-level marketing, they're a dime a dozen, just like dentists, really. Right. So you do need to be able you know, what's the, what's the difference between someone who's successful in those industries and someone who's who's – not successful and this the success is is personality and stories it's the ability to hold a conversation the ability to create a, an interest okay um and, and the, the easiest way um to for people to think that you are interesting is for you to be interested in them <laughs> you know if you ask if you ask questions you you know people people will 
talk about their favorite subject all day long themselves. Yeah. yeah. But if you if you don't if you don't ask questions, then there's no conversation. So, so how did you break that ice? How do you break that ice uh, between the first patient or the, the the patient you saw for the first time? So let's imagine he had a reasonable experience coming getting into the chair. The hygienist is all good. They're all talking. They they're just making jokes. And the dentist comes in for like five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes of exam. Not more than that, I'm sure. Uh, <clears throat> what do you think? How he can break the ice between, you know, being a dentist and talking to the patient, such that the patient just opens up, like, and opens up with his stories and talks about how he can break the ice between them. Well, you've got to look for commonality and then a point of interest that interests you um so people about the same age mm-hmm. uh have a commonality of interest then you can look for um where did you come from where did you go to school what industries do you work in what do you like doing for recreation okay uh, things like that where have you traveled to and and we we, we all know we, we all know what it's like if 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 there is commonality, you can create a a friendship, right? But and and so it's that relationship, and then being able to keep that that level of interest going from mm-hmm. visit to visit that is really important, and and having that having that respect, I think, for who they are, um, what they're feeling, mm-hmm. and what they do. So. I was always very interested in in my patients in terms of their you know their their family their children they okay. were interested in 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 mine I did, I you know, I didn't volunteer about my children you know I, I if they asked me where my children went to school I told them if they you know if they asked me where I lived because I lived away from my practice I told them but I didn't volunteer that information because I was more talking about them right um but you you only have a what they say you only have eight seconds um, to create an impact you know that first impression you right. only have a one time to create a good first impression they've got to hit it off on the on the right note straight away the beauty of how I structured my practice was that uh, there were a number of people that they saw before they saw me right. so that uh, they were able to build relationship with you know my front office team when they they made the appointment my front office team when they arrived my hygienist my dental assistant so i was just the last person that they got to meet which was right. confirmation that they'd already met the yeah. rest of the team as opposed to me being the the grand poopah that they it's if they don't like me and they i'm the first person they meet everybody else doesn't matter but yeah. if they meet other people who they like, they say, "Well, everybody there was really nice." Okay. But you do have to worry that you don't, you, if you've got someone bad on the front desk, um, mm. that will kill your business as well. Mm. No matter how nice you are. Sure. So you have to surround yourself with healthy team with a healthy um, a healthy team. All right. So we have a good healthy team. I'm going with your flow here. You have a good healthy team. He patient had good three experiences before uh, he comes to see you. And uh, uh, how how does that team relate whatever they've learned uh, in the process of you know uh, bringing the patient in the chair? What have they? How do they relate it to the dentist? In this case, you, uh, so that you can 
work on the commonality of interest and you know uh, break the ice as we were talking how did you do that how, or how did you used to do that in your office i mean how did how did they how did they when i entered the room they would always relate a personal story about the patient or a personal experience about the station that I, the patient that i could then continue that conversation with them so i wasn't just walking in straight into a dental conversation i was walking okay. into a personal conversation so it would be um you know the dental assistant would be chatting with the patient and have some um hmm. social interaction that they would then share invite me into that conversation and then i would segue in and then i would segue to the dentistry that we needed to do be it the examination or you know looking at the the emergency or the broken tooth if they were a new patient in the hygiene room there's always you know six months three months of information about the patient to right. to share mm-hmm. um what they've been doing and that that just creates that level of interest but the important i, I guess the the real important thing is is to be able to have the team focused on conversation about the patient mm. um and and not about you know the worst person to employ in a dental office is the uh is the dental assistant who is getting married because all she ever talks about is her wedding <laughs> plans to yeah. every patient and yeah. everybody gets sick of that or then we have the person the person working in the dental office who all they ever talk about is the weather oh hasn't it been hot every patient gets that oh hasn't it been hot hasn't it been wet well <laughs> how thick how bad is this snow so they have you know? to be really interested in them too that's what you're saying oh yeah they have they there there has to be there has to be the belief in the, the patient has to have the belief that the the person they are talking to has an interest in what they're saying okay and and so you have to you know you can't employ people who are socially inept right you have to employ people who uh, and you and socially inept can be have no interest or have a total be off the scale the other way just talk about themselves right uh, they have, they have to really be interested in creating conversation mm. and 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 really a conversation that is um 80% the patient talking and only 20% our right. team member talking now yeah. team member is just asking questions so we have to train in in being a good question asker yeah it's like a 8020 rule uh, pareto principle everybody talks about yeah. <laughs> i like that i like that um <clears throat> all right so uh so let's let's go in a flashback a little bit um you open up a dental office uh and uh tell tell us a little bit about what your office was like uh compared to today uh and i'll tell you why we are trying to go in that direction all right so um i i graduated from university in 1982 in 1983 i worked for a dentist you know one dentist no staff office really it was so mm. quiet he he had he had done a um a squat um you know start up right. and uh, after two years his wife who was also a dentist decided they were going to go overseas and work and he had a um nine months to to go in his contract so i i took that job and and uh, worked night and day to just pay the bills and then discontinued that uh, i then got a job working for a chap who was very busy doing good average dentistry in a very um tough socio-economic market mm-hmm. and 
and I worked for him for three years. And so after those four years, I had a, uh, you know, I just got the urge. Just uh, some, you know, friends of mine were buying practices, and so I thought, well, if they're buying practices, maybe I should buy a practice. So a practice that had um, one chair and one very old chair and um, one person else, else as well working in the practice who you know was the person who answered the phone took the money um yeah dental assistant steriliser everything okay so it was a very small practice and i think the practice was collecting about ten thousand dollars a month mm-hmm. and in 1987 and i grew that practice it, it had it was in uh, a top floor of a building with medical specialists Right. And I grew that practice. You know, I put in another chair, um, and, and then I took over some rooms that were empty behind that, and replumbed and put in um, three more chairs. And then I put on a hygienist, put on more staff. Uh, then my neighbour next door in the suite on the other side, he was a dentist. He retired, and I bought his practice. He put okay. his practice on the market. I bought his practice. He came to work for me for. Uh, nine months and then I took over his practice and then I took over some more room after that and then I bought another practice uh, about a mile away and ran that as a standalone practice with another uh, dentist and and two staff that just worked there because that was a it was a site opportunity and it just needed you know continuity of the right dentist in mm. that in that situation but basically Pank, so what I did was I took the practice from being um, hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year in 1987. Uh, in 2007, it was doing about 2.4 million a year. Cool. Um, and we had, um, let me see, we had uh, three hygienists, two part time, one full time. We had uh, another, uh, apart from the standalone site, we had another full time dentist, couple of specialists as well. Um, I had three front office people, three dental assistants. So it was a reasonable size. Mm-hmm. That's not counting standalone. Um, and then I sold. Uh, somebody knocked on my door and said, we'd like to buy your practice and have you stay on. <laughs> so I sold the practice and I still kept growing the practice. The practice, in the next four years after I sold it, the practice went from uh, $2.4 million to $3.2 million uh, yeah. dollars in, in turnover. Yeah. We charged uh, high fees for our work uh, compared to our neighbours, very high fees, but we we were always busy and always popular because people wanted to be looked after. And um, so I stayed on in that practice from 2007 to 2014. Um, so I was there for half my life. I was there for 28 years Yeah. Uh, when I left. Um, and I left to have um, surgery on my shoulder and uh, I had to have my right shoulder replaced uh, from an osteoarthritis condition. Okay. And and then I started doing a little bit of part-time work after that, but uh, I also ended up with some arthritis in my hands. Mm. So I, I can't practice in the way I used to. Used to. Um, yeah. I just can't control fine instruments anymore with these right. hands. So. So, um, so, that was the practice. so the practice just grew and grew and grew. It grew organically and it grew by acquisition. Right. Um, but it grew during some difficult uh, economic times as well. So ultimately, uh, you know, a practice went from 120 a year to $3.2 million a year. 
right in, right right yeah from 1987 to 2014 all the way 2000 yeah. Yeah, 2011 was a peak 2012 yeah so okay. it plateaued a bit after that okay and now uh, very interesting so you were doing so good uh, and then someone knocked on your door on 2007 and you sold the practice when you were doing everything by yourself you know with the good staff and everything i'm just curious uh, why would you sell it why did you sell the office at that time um uh, one of the things that i'd always discussed throughout my dental career was the um the the value that you get for the sale of a business asset in dentistry compared to other businesses you know two of my um my dental university colleagues one was a his father was a a, a fruit monger okay and the other one his father had a a, a fish shop and they said you know, for the turnover that those businesses have we you know our family will get paid much more than the the formula for selling a dental practice mm-hmm. and dentistry you know so dent- dental practices are valued were valued in those days based on some rudimentary formula you know 1/3 of your goodwill plus equipment and you know equipment is ridiculous because most of the equipment is old and rusty and yeah you can't you you couldn't sell it for its value right right and so then you know the equation is you know the the vendor is trying to um the vendor is trying to get a high value for the equipment and a low value for the goodwill because of tax on sale and the and the the purchaser is trying to get a high value for the <laughs> the goodwill the goodwill because yeah. he's got to sell it later on he doesn't want a big capital gain but the biggest scare i had was uh, a friend of mine had a practice uh, not far from from where i grew up okay and uh, he dropped dead one lunchtime yeah. uh, from a cerebral aneurysm he was 58 wow. and he dropped dead and i went i remember going to have a look at his practice when it was for sale and he's talking to his wife and literally in the hour that i was talking with her it was like watching the price is right you know the the meter was going the meter was going in reverse the the, mm. the value of the practice was diminishing minute by minute because he wasn't there right. and and for most dentists you know their number one asset is their home their number two asset is their practice and there's a lot tied up in the practice and i thought if that was ever going to happen to me and i mm. dropped dead um my practice was so complicated i would just not like that burden on my family my practice was generating the income that supported my lifestyle and right. i thought there's got to be a time when i've got to i've got to sever that tie and so the price that i was offered was a significant amount you know i sold to a, a corporate startup right and there was tax advantages in selling to them hmm. because uh of uh, you know long term ownership of the practice and lower capital gains hmm. people said well, you know if you'd have stayed on for 5 years the money they paid you you would have made that in profit but you pay the profit at current tax rates Okay. You pay the tax at current tax rates on that profit whereas there was significant concessional for selling the practice and just getting that burden off mm. um and so I I did that and and as you, as as I told you you know the practice still continued to grow under my stewardship as uh, as as yeah. the you know well, the 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 manager of that practice um but then the corporate that corporate roll up was then on sold and things changed for the worse so um you know i left for medical reasons but i had the option of either setting up 
a practice nearby. You know, my, my exclusion period was gone. Uh, I could go and work for someone um, and that would be fine. Or I could um, set up somewhere else. But, mm. you know, medically, because of my hands, right. um, it, it, that just didn't happen. I, I learned that it was very difficult to go and work for somebody else at the same speed that I was working for myself. Certainly, you know, yeah. Once you're the boss. Two hygienists and I, I had the run of the place and every minute was valuable. But when you go and they say, well, this is your room and when you come next week, you're going to have a different dental assistant and mm. you just have to do what we do. And all of a sudden, my hourly rate dropped dramatically just from going from two rooms to one room with a different dental assistant, you know, it, 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 it dramatically dropped. Mm. And and mm. because I'm left-handed, thanks. So I, can, I just okay. can't walk into any practice and just start working in another practice. I mean, you know. I yeah. have to have everything back to front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so now that's interesting. People, I'm sure, didn't know about this phase of your life, uh, you know, why you did this. Now, uh, <clears throat> so when did your, uh, you know, ultimate patient experience or something similar started as, uh, you you started as a consultant and a coach. When did your journey begin as a consultant? Well, I was always um, encouraged by coaches that I had, you know, okay. I did some master training um, and other consultants that I'd used always said to me that, you know, you have a good story and you have a lot of knowledge and you should share that knowledge um, and that you, you, you have the ability to do that as well. Hmm. And so it was, we knew we were doing something successful in my practice, you know, to be able to charge significantly more for our dentistry than our neighbours and not worry about what well, I didn't even know what my neighbors were doing. You know, mm. I, I, I regularly increase my fees based on my own expenses and my, my own feel for the economy without yeah. doing a price check to see what other people were, were, were charging. In fact, one of my patients said to me, he said, I walked out of here and I went next door and they charge half what you do. Uh-huh. Uh, he said, what do you do about that? And I said, well, what do you want me to do about it? I said, Ron, you're a businessman. Look at me, I'm busy. What do you want me to do? Drop my prices and be even busier and work for less money? Would that make sense? <laughs> yeah. I, I was I was using economics to to, to guide my my fees. Okay. Um. So, getting back to it, I was doing some masterminding in um, four times a year. I would attend a, a dental mastermind group in uh, Chicago. Oh. So I'd fly over. I'd leave Sydney Thursday afternoon and fly to Chicago, arrive, because you cross the date line, so you arrive Thursday afternoon in Chicago, Friday morning, all day uh, lecture, Saturday morning till lunchtime, out to O'Hare, jump on the plane, you lose Sunday crossing the date line going back, back Monday morning, go home, have a shower, start drilling teeth Monday afternoon. So right. it was only costing me two and a half days of dentistry. Mm. You know, I was, um, I was away for... 96 hours and 48 hours of that was travel and 48 hours was on the ground in Chicago. Right. So, wow. um, but it was at that mastermind meeting that I'm, uh, they used to have a guest speaker on the Saturday morning who was non-dental mm. and I met somebody uh, in the customer service uh, uh, industry and he had a, uh, a program and I remember um, talking to my wife and saying, you know, this guy's really good. I bought his book. I read the book on the plane on the way home. And coincidentally, he was leaving Chicago and flying to Australia to do a three-city oh, uh, wow. tour. 
uh, the same time, but he was on a different airline. Okay. Um, okay. And so I was already fully booked when he was in Sydney, but I was able to, my day off was, uh, he was presenting in Brisbane. So mm. I flew up to Brisbane to see him and I called my wife. I said, uh, he's got a four day workshop in, uh, this was May. I said, we've, he's got a four day workshop in July and we need to go and do that workshop. And so we booked to go back to the US to do his four day workshop. And it was kind of like, we're doing this and he's doing that. And I kind of like put it together and it was just, it was the glue that put everything together. So it created, we, we used his framework, put it into what we were doing in dentistry, put the two together and created a, a process where we looked at everything from the patient's point of view as opposed to looking at it from the dental point of view and the dentist's point of view and the practice point of view. Mm. And so, you know, we, we knew we were doing good stuff, but we didn't actually really have it down as a, an absolute process. So that was the... The, the genesis of um, the ultimate patient experience. We then uh, asked our staff to help us to discuss what they do in relation to patients at the various steps that they see the patients. And, and we ha our team had such a good time in putting this program together. Um, it was very entertaining and very educational. And we realized that if, if, uh, if we could do that, uh, in a duplicatable process, we could teach other practices to do it yeah. because ultimately, um, Panks, in any business, if there is somebody letting the team down, somebody not doing what they're meant to, it doesn't matter how good everybody else is, you know, you're going to lose that customer. Mm. You're going to lose that customer. Mm. You know, you, you could be the best dentist and the best um, dental assistant and this had happened to me way back in the 90s, but my receptionist was so abrasive, patients were never coming back. And, <laughs> yeah. and she was so abrasive. And when we replaced her with somebody better, my practice just took off. And there was no different to what I was doing back then. Right. It was, it was, I knew I was doing good stuff because people were saying, thanks very much, I really enjoyed you. And they'd go, why didn't they book? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. She was just so bad. All right. So and, um, sorry to interrupt you here. We'll certainly get back yeah, no, to um uh, I don't want to miss this. So let's talk about your coaches. Uh, your coaches when you flew from Sydney to Chicago. Um, who were who were your coaches at that time? Uh, if you're open to you know uh, share those the names of the coaches and obviously the guy who helped you, you know, bring the ultimate patient experience together. Well. But Coaches in Chicago, I was working with uh, Ed O'Keefe, and uh, his firm was called um, Den Dentist Profits Systems, and he was a he was a uh, a client of Dan Kennedy. Um, so you know, there's plenty of coaches out there from the Dan Kennedy school. Um, no, what still was going. his name? Um, uh, what was his name again? Could you spell that for me? Ed. Ed. E D. O'Keefe. E D. O'Keefe. So he's not in dentistry anymore. He wasn't a dentist. Um, he was mm. just he just built a business. Uh, and and I've got to say, those four years of being coached in Chicago, those uh, mm. that was about the time that um, Facebook really took off. And the friendships that I have with uh, with those people from 2007 to 2010, you know, I could call up any of those people now, and the, any of those you know, apart from Canadians, there's a couple of Canadians, but. I was the only foreigner, but you know I've got friends in New York, in um, Joplin, Missouri, um, 
in um, um, Sioux City, Iowa, uh, all over uh, the U.S. Who I uh, who I I see on Facebook, and you know we're like we're like um, brothers and sisters right. to a cause. So it was more about the family, mm-hmm. and so I had no no tr- trouble. In fact, the you know, the first time I went to one of their meetings, I thought I'm just going to go to this meeting so I know that I don't have to go anymore. <laughs> you know, you get that. You know, I, I, these guys can't teach me anything. I know everything. Yeah. And uh, and and that meeting was actually even in San San Diego, which was really convenient for me. But uh, but I just kept learning from from those processes, and so I knew that there is um, there also is camaraderie in coaching as well mm-hmm. in being a coach and having having um, uh, group coaching experiences. Um, I had another friend in Cleveland who's a, who was a, a dental coach, Dr. Ron Arndt. He's now retired as well. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Ron, he, was a, yeah. He, he was a dentist. Um, he was a dental coach. He and I are very good friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk quite regularly. I've stayed at his home maybe five or six times. So uh, you said uh, an important line here that you thought that you knew everything, you know, uh, when you went to all these mastermind courses and whatnot. I said, uh, I'm, I know everything, but you still had a lot to learn, as you say. How did you talk yourself into, oh, I need to learn more? Because I believe dentists are, dentists believe they know everything. They don't know when, they, when, they, when there's a lot more to learn from experts, um, maybe like you um, and so on. What did you talk yourself into at that stage that I need to learn more, that I still have a capacity to learn more? The, being a dentist is a really tough business to be an owner-operator because in doing the dentistry, you only have your eyes on the dentistry. You can't see the rest of your business. Right, you right. can't see how your phone is being answered. You can't see how your your customers and patients are being treated by other team members. So you have to build an accountability and a and a um, a responsibility within the rest of your team. And I've seen it, and you've probably seen it, situations where people in um, when they're not being supervised, they change mm-hmm. they, in their employment. They become rude. They become obnoxious. It's almost like they have a little, I'm going to have a little power play with the customer right. because not my customer. I get paid the same whether this person comes in or not. Right. And and and. You, you see these things happening and I realized that I, you can't do it on your own and you need to have you need to have coaches behind you to help keep your team accountable Makes and sense. that's the biggest thing that's the biggest thing with with dentists in the in the general dental population is that they don't realize how bad things are behind their back until it's too late. And it, and, well, not even if it's too late. It's costing, you know, it's like being two degrees off uh, course when your plane takes off. Okay. You know, when, 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 you know if, if, if they think their practice is going along okay, mm-hmm. well, guess what? When they get to retirement age, their retirement income may be okay, but it's not going to be spectacular because of uh, them ignoring it. Interesting. And, and, and so... Everything that you have, you can do to keep your team on track, is really important. Hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. So you need you need to be constantly monitoring. So I knew 
um, I worked it out in back in the 90s. Yeah, I I had somebody uh, back in the mid 90s when I was doing all these um, non-dental business uh, investigations. I was looking at getting out of dentistry, and I had somebody who said to me, he said, you've got a very good practice here. Um, I could coach you. And I thought, well, that's an interesting thing. And so he started coaching me, but he was a dentist. But six months into his coaching, I found out that he was coaching me, and his practice was a, a long way away from mine, but he was starting to work as a dentist uh, 900 yards up the road from me as well. So mm. I thought, there's, now, there's a flaw with that program. Mm. And so I got rid of him, but I realized I did need another coach. Um, and I hired a dental coach uh, from um, Melbourne, you know, which is an hour and a, a bit flight away. Right. And, and, and that, the coaching that I had from that company for six and a half years helped me triple my practice collections in oh, six and a half years. And, and they were the people who helped me with that dental receptionist because they said, you know, we'll... You know, we can go into a dental practice and find a staff member that's costing two hundred thousand dollars a year. And I, I, when I heard them say that, I thought that's my practice. That's wow. what that's what's going on in my practice. Hmm. And so I knew the benefit of having coaches um, in in dentistry because you can't see what's going on behind your own back, and you need people for your staff to be accountable to. So and how did you? you play- uh, how did you finalize on? what coach to hire or what coaching company to hire? Like you hire somebody in Melbourne. Um, would you be able to share the name here? Yeah, well, again, that company doesn't exist anymore either. They, okay. were, they were called Focus Dental Management. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about them was, you know, I went along to one of their uh, opportunity meetings and I went with a friend of mine. He had a, he had a very uh, busy, low-fee dental practice. I had a not-so-busy, higher-fee dental practice, mm-hmm. and we both stayed with uh, Focus for over six years. And at the end, um, my practice was busier and mm-hmm. still high-fee. His practice was um, – he got his fees up, and his practice had also improved. But we, we started with two different practices, and we finished with better practices, but they were different practices. And I liked that in coaching. You know, he – I don't like coaching models where it, you know everybody goes in and everybody comes out of a sausage factory. You know, you've got to, everyone's got to do module one, everyone's got to do module two, and you're thinking they're teaching me stuff I I either already am doing, I know, and I've decided not to do, mm. or is stuff that that doesn't really work for me. You know, yeah, I don't need. So I like the personalized nature, and that's one thing I really enjoyed with when I when I met Dr. Ron Art that. Mm. Um, you know, he, he had private coaching clients. Uh, he, he brought them together once or twice a month for um, book review um, right. sessions. But apart from that, and, and he'd have them to his place on Thanksgiving. But apart from that, each each client had different agendas, and he had very good long-term clients. So okay. after, after Focus, then I, I, uh, I used a non-dental um, coaching business. And that was Panks. That was the hardest I worked in my life. I tell you, you know, the, the, they said they said uh, you know dentistry is a business, and we know business. I said, yeah, all right. And it was true. It was about goals and KPIs and all sorts of stuff. And I've got to tell you, I had to read a book every week, and it was hard work. Hmm. Uh, I, and he's mentioned in the in the in the um, 
in the forward of my book, um, Josh Patterson. He was a great coach. He was a great coach. He kept me accountable, taught me a lot about business. I taught him, you know, I taught him. He was surprised. Um, I had a, um, I sent a letter out to uh, my accounts receivable uh, in December. Okay. And I said, I said, uh, I said, it's Christmas and Christmas is the time of giving. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give your debt to a debt collection office if you don't pay me. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and I had people ringing up and their relatives ringing up saying, I need to pay this. You can't send my daughter to a debt collector. Yeah. And I, he said, why did you do that? And I said, well, I said, I'm sick and tired of them going down to the pub and saying, look, I went and saw Moffat and I didn't pay his bill. Ha, ha, ha. Look at Moffat. I'd rather them go to the pub and say, you know, I went to Moffat. I didn't pay his bill. And now he's sending me to a debt collector. Right. Because I'd much rather them not send their dirty friends along who are going to do the same thing. I'd much rather be known that I'm the guy who's tough and I expect if I do a day's work that they pay me and not <laughs> not, not joke about it. So he loved it. He loved that card. And uh, yeah, it, it worked really well. It was the most successful um, campaign, but we ran on very low yeah. receivable, uh, accounts receivables after that. So then after that, then I went, I went to a, a friend of mine and he had – you know, a 12 module thing, and I, that didn't work for me. One module, one and two modules in, you know, and I thought, um, I thought, you know, I've got my whole team here. We're not making any money, and you're teaching me stuff I already know. Um, I said, this isn't working. And then I went, then I had another coach uh, for a while who mm. had used to work with Focus, but uh, she, um, she had gone out on her own, and we used her for a while. And then I went more into into the mastermind in the U.S. because I thought if anything works in the U.S., it's got to work in Australia. You know, they speak the same language. Right. It's, you know, free enterprise. And um, so, and so we started doing Invisalign open houses and things like that. I learned a whole pile of marketing stuff over there that, that worked really well. What did you um, – um, where did you uh, – so you're saying you had a mastermind group in Chicago. That's what you went to eventually? Yeah, after I went to a mastermind. So – I call it a mastermind because it was every every three months. You know, the meetings were free. I just had to get there. Okay. Yeah. You know, airfare's not not inexpensive coming from Australia. No, certainly not. So, uh, uh, where was this mastermind again? I mean, who was who was uh, hosting the mastermind? That was, with, that was with Ed O'Keefe. Oh yeah, you mentioned that Ed O'Keefe. Yeah, but then he went to he went to sell that business, and it kind of uh, it kind of. Um, People just went their their separate ways, and you often find that. You know, I had a hairdresser. He told me he was selling the the salon. I thought, well, if he's selling, I'm driving too far across town. I'm not seeing someone else. I'll go see someone I know. Yeah. And if my hairdresser never sold. So, um, people can send uh, incorrect messages. Sometimes, you, sometimes the sale of a business can be good, but sometimes it's it's not. So Ed sold that, but at that at that time, you know, I was looking at. Yeah, you know, it was through Ed that that I met. Um, the um the people from uh it was john de julius and the de julius group okay. in uh, cleveland and and that's the beauty with the de julius group you know i met them i met shep hyken who's uh, a customer service guy met a lot of customer service people as a result of okay. that um that connection um i really i really do like the de julius group um because of it's it's like a small family as well mm -hmm. um they they have a great business, but the best. But you know, 
again, people can do that. They say, oh, well, Moffat did the DeJulius group. Maybe I should do the DeJulius group. No, just just get me. You know, I've done all the hard work. <laughs> I've, I've already done the adaptation to dentistry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why go, why reinvent the wheel? Well, okay. it's funny. So many people write to me. So many people write to me and say, I just read your book. I can't believe how good it is. And uh -huh. yeah, my book's got four reviews. It's got double the reviews that Howard Frey. And I've got over 100 five-star reviews on that book. Yeah. I can't believe it. The book was never written to be anything but just the story of my life. Well, um, some people, actually people get relate to it. You know, that's why, yeah. you know, when people can relate to it, they feel, you know, you can you can relate to a, uh, you cannot always relate to a celebrity, but you can always relate to somebody who's at your level, you know, and how mm. successful they are. I mean, you're, you've become a celebrity in, on your own way now. So I think um, the way I understand is, so you went back and forth between coaches from, uh, from Sydney to Chicago, learned all from different coaches, John Patterson, Patterson, Ed O'Keefe and so on. And when were you were you still doing uh, consultation or uh, be acting like a coach for ultimate patient experience during this learning process or you learned all that first and then opened up your consultation business as as think, ultimate patient experience so what I, what i did was you know i, I met to julius in 2010 mm -hmm. um 2012 after we put it all together in our practice and realized that it was something that we could market. We, uh, you know, we, I say we, my wife and I, because my wife worked in my practice as a, as a front office concierge and practice manager. We, you know, we, we said this, we can make this into a duplicatable program. Okay. And so we then put it to the market as me as a, a dental business coach and, you know, went out doing um, small meetings in capital cities in Australia and 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 had clients but i was still working as a dentist at that point in time with the belief that i was going to uh leave my practice that i'd already sold right. and do do coaching um so i i enjoy i really enjoy the coaching because there's nothing more um pleasing than to be able to help people do what i did because what I did is not something that is, it's, it's something where people really have to trust change because it's, it's out of left field. It's, 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 it's not really, um, it, you know, the, the, it's not really a visible path. Mm. It's, a, it's a path where you, you say, well, I see the result he got. That's the result I want. But... I'm not sure about the process, and the process is very much like um, uh, Luke and um, Yoda, mm. you know, in the forest where Someone, Yoda yeah. says, "Trust the force." Yeah, trust you the know, force. You, <laughs> trust the force. And 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 um, Panks, I don't know if you have you ever done a Tony Robbins firewalk. No, I've uh, heard and read about it. Yes, but I haven't done it. So I did. I did a Tony Robbins firewalk. I didn't know that that was what I was going to do. Okay. At this, yeah, I thought, geez, we've got to do a firewalk. What tonight? First thing, <laughs> and the process with the firewalk is to focus on the end result, and the end result is that you have walked across the fire. Right. All right. And yeah. you have gone from here to there. Right. And it how you focus on how you're going to feel when you get there. Focus mm -hmm. on the celebration, and don't focus on the hot coals. Don't focus on the fact that you got bare feet. 
but trust that you are going to be prepared to do it because ultimately it is really only five steps on the on the coals and mm. they have you walking around on cold concrete and they hose your feet down so so much uh, <laughs> and they teach you to walk with a style that doesn't kick up the ash back onto yourself and then as soon as you get across the other side they hose you down again um very few people had anything more than a little bit of tingling yeah yeah it, it's that trust the process and so again the process is that you you get to the end result in in um I'm just trying to think what year it was. Well, it must have been. Sorry, let me let me just think. It must have been about 2001. 2001. So we'd had the Sydney Olympics, and I got invited to do a uh, for charity to do a flying fox across the uh, the the Olympic Stadium, and really? you know from the grandstand um, and across. You know, I had to pay you know, four or five hundred dollars to do it, <laughs> and I thought, Gee, I, I don't like heights. Okay. And and uh, half the battle was just climbing over the railing to get there ready to go before. And I thought it's going to be quicker for me to just take that step than to climb back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I just said, all right, well, off I go. And off I went across. So again, it's just process. You've got to trust the process. But the beauty of it, of my processes are, you know, I did it. Other people have done it. Mm. Um, it can be done. And, and, and again, but again, the difference between and and we talk about why dentists don't have coaches. Um, some people think it's easier to do it yourself. Mm. Um, it's not. It's not. It's much easier to just do what you're good at, which is drill teeth, and then get the pieces put together by somebody who knows what they're doing to help you. Right. Um, right. So, um, so <laughs> you've done so much. You've done so much in this whole process. Uh, what? What do you think you've learned uh, the most? Uh, who was your best coach among all these, this whole journey uh, of becoming a coach yourself? Well, I think it, it's hard to say who was the best because they all, they all added a different sort of piece to, mm. um, to, to what I do and to what I even do now. And what I do now is different from what I was doing a couple of years ago. Sure, sure. Uh, so you know, um, some of the people who I've I've listened to, you know, uh, Dan Kennedy and his disciples, they're very, they're, he's very uh, ruthless in terms of being black and white about okay. what works, what doesn't work, mm. how you spend your time, spending your time doing what works as opposed to doing what doesn't work. Right. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people confuse. Um, activity with accomplishment and that's not you know activity doesn't pay bills so what what you would call paper shuffling reorganizing files tidying your desk <laughs> stuff like that you know yeah. i spent all day i'm exhausted what'd you do oh, i tidied my office yeah well, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever just... seen a photo of einstein's office or steve jobs's office um yeah you can get stuff done in an untidy office mm. as long as you know you know certainly clutter can uh, can get the best of you when all of a sudden you're working in a luge, you know, and you can't move. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but as long as long as you've got you, you know where things are. In fact, I was talking to my brother. He's a a, a barrister in the legal profession. Right. He said his wife came in. He said it took him 
two weeks to work out where she put all these files that he knew where they were at the drop of a hat. Right. And his office was really messy. But um, <laughs> but he gets the work done. An accomplishment. So um, it's also working with um, the wrong sort of people. Um, everything's a numbers game in business, Panks. Um, yeah. you, know, you can be successful in any business by doing uh, uh, extremely large amounts of numbers. In terms of marketing and um, and selling, you can be a poor a poor salesman, a poor converter, a poor um, um, attractor. But if you do things in such grand quantities, you'll still get a a funnel of people going through those ratios. So it is important to work on the ratios, but it's not important to you can't sell the same thing to everybody. Right. Um, yeah, not everybody's going to buy it, but you've got to be ready to say, all right, this person uh, is not ready to buy now, may never buy, um, let them go. Don't keep um, trying to nurture um, right. people who will never be your, your customer. And we see that in our practice. You know, someone mm. who says, yeah, I, got, I want to get this cosmetic work done. Well, book it in. No, they never book it in. Yeah. And the teeth just keep right. Can't you just patch it? Can't you just patch it? And it, you just say, so what well, yeah. do you do in that scenario? You just tell them, sorry, I cannot patch it anymore. You got to do a veneer or the crowns on it. Is that what you tell them to, and be firm on that? Is that what it is? I, I learned very quickly, especially with posterior restorations, mm -hmm. that um, if I couldn't get uh, a proper margin on a filling, yeah. there was no point in me trying. Yeah. And I would just say to them, i say, look, um, this, this filling is so deep I'm going to need to put a, a, a crown on this because right. it's the only way I can get a perfect margin. Mm. And I said, if I put a filling, it's going to get worse and we're going to lose tooth and we're going to have the same problem, but we're going to have less tooth. So right. that doesn't make any sense. So I said, I'm just putting a temporary filling in there and uh, you need to book back in to get this done as a crown. Right. And if, if they can't um, find the reason or the means to get the crown, then they go elsewhere to get the filling. But I'm not going to be held responsible for trying to do the impossible right. when I've told them what needs to be done. You know, I, I, can't, I can't do the impossible. So how do, you um, fight, I, uh, how do you fight such patient who wants to, no, uh, sorry, I cannot afford it right now. Please do me a filling right now. And then maybe six months down the road, I'll come back to do it. The temporary filling is better than, enough, than me actually doing a real filling because what they believe when you put a real filling in there is yeah. that uh, it's as good as a crown. They always, believe, they always believe that second best is as good as best, just cheaper. And, and it never is. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's a quantum leap. It's, it's just like um, composite veneers. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, why, 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 why do we even get talked into doing composite veneers? They take longer. They look worse. They stain up really quickly. Yeah. And uh, they cost a whole lot less. There's no no one wins with a composite veneer. I agree. I agree. <laughs> but people still say, yeah, I did these composite veneers. Look how good they look. And now with Instagram, we can make them look even better. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> the filters. But, okay. But, yeah, nothing, 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 beats, nothing beats porcelain. Where, you know, yeah, that's true. I never, I never called it Tupperware, but, you know, it's, it's um, yeah, but, but still people do that. And, you know, people think, oh, yeah, well, he can build a multi-pin amalgam or a multi-pin composite or, and, and, mm. and, and it fails. And then you're the bad 
you actually tried to help them, but you didn't even help them. So yeah. I'd much rather just say it's going to be this or uh, go somewhere else. Right, right. All right. So going back to your coaching. So uh, yeah, for who is your ideal client? Um, like who can get the most benefit of your coaching? Uh, who, who would you recommend could hire, should hire you? Uh, an office which is doing X number uh, annually, annually, or uh, uh, it's a Medicaid office, it's a, a fee-for-service office. What would you say is your ideal client? Re- really good question because um, some of the clients that I've had in the U.S., um, I had a practice where uh, the dentist was four years out, a lady dentist, and she was seeing 60 patients a day, wow. mainly Medicaid mainly Medicaid, and it was, she said, I, if this is my life, I can't go on. There has to be something better. And so my suggestion to her was uh, that she needed to um, reduce the amount of Medicaid in her office. I said, you're doing stuff that's not even, you're actually doing stuff that you're losing money on. And she right. goes, you know, you're absolutely right. And she said, but I, I'm not really allowed to, um, you know, I've either got to drop it all at once. I said, can't you do this? Why don't you just set a day where you have a Medicaid-free day, right? Mm-hmm. And see what that's like. So she 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 just said, "All right." So we they made Wednesdays uh, free for service day. Okay. And it was like it was like it was like they'd been transported to a to a uh, holiday <laughs> resort on Wednesdays. <laughs> they everybody loved working. They saw nice patients. They made lots of money. And and so long story short was that. She, and she also told her lab, "I'm not doing these procedures anymore." The lab said, "I'll drop my fee." Oh. So the lab was making money off her. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm dropping those procedures. And so, long story short, I gave her 12 months to get out of out of Medicaid. She was out of it in eight months. Great. She took her practice from um, 1.07 million to 1. Uh, 1.27 million. In a 12-month period, so she put on two hundred thousand dollars in in uh, in a 12-month period. She's cut her day back to where she was seeing about 20, 25 patients a day, mm. and everybody lives happily ever after. Right. So that's an extreme. That's not that's not something because some people just get into the mindset that they have to see everybody. I have right. to help everybody. I have to be a dentist to everybody. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. sometimes price is is um, is a real uh, filter. Right, 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 right. Who want to pay will pay, and and so what what we saw with her practice was the eighty twenty rule that twenty percent of the people that she was seeing were actually wanted to pay for her service, and eighty percent didn't value. In fact, she was said she said the worst appointment in her practice was the first appointment after lunch because Medicaid people would book in and they would turn up at the start of lunch. With their whole family, because it was air conditioned, they bring um, fast food and, and <laughs> chips, and they trash the the, the reception area uh, before they got their free dentistry. Yeah, and she yeah. Said, so, but ideally, my ideal client is somebody who has hit a um, a glass ceiling. Somebody yeah. who says, you know, I think I can be doing better, but I just don't know what it is. Mm. And sometimes that's all it is sometimes it's just another pair of eyes and a little bit of guidance and just let me steer you let me take you 
let me lead you in the direction that you need to go. Hmm. Um, so the, the, the clients who I really work best with at the moment, Panks, mm-hmm. I, I actually I actually get on really well with um, uh, female dentists, and there's more of those, who own their own practice, but for some reason or another, their practice has not been a serious business. You know, right. they either have a husband who is uh, who has a serious business, mm-hmm. or they have a family, yeah. and they, so their practice has kind of been like a hobby. Right. You know, it's just been somewhere where they go, they employ a couple of people, it's not really making a profit, and it's like a mother's club, but it has the potential. And when they decide, look, what do I have to do to improve this practice? Because they're very popular. Part of the reason that they work part-time is that they try and see as many people as they can, but they don't even do all the dentistry that they diagnose. Right. And so it's a matter of their processes and refocusing on what the patients need and helping them grow their practices into into successful successful businesses that are independent of the husband's income uh, for whatever reason, just for proof, just for benefit for the whole family, right. not for separation. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but just you know, the realization of an asset. And um, I work really well with those, those dentists. The ones who are difficult to work with are the ones who say, can you come in and help me build my practice up? I want to sell it in two years. Uh-huh. It's like, you know, you've had, you've had 40 years of running this down to the ground and you want, to, <laughs> you want me to help now help you flip it yeah. to some sucker, you know, right. I'm not into, I'm not, I'm not a flipper. In real estate, I'm not a flipper. Right. right. I always feel, I always feel that it, it, somebody who flips something has uh, ripped off the, the purchase, you know, who they bought the thing off and then they rip off the person they're selling. Mm. I think value, value. If somebody wants something at a price, they pay for it, right. but they pay for it to be kept. You right. know, you buy, I, 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 I did, I did, I did, I did my first house. I only lived in it for a year because I I sold it to buy another house even bigger. Right. The market went up, but all the rest of my houses that I've lived in, I've lived in them for, as homes mm, to enjoy. Okay. Right, right, and right. And what they were worth, what do I what I paid for them, and what I sold for them, mm. was, doesn't compare to the enjoyment of of, of what being happened in to my right. processes. Right. And so that's what I like with the dental business as well. That I think a dental business should really be. Um, a place where you do good. It's a it's a place where you do good for your community mm-hmm. and and or a section of your community. And 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 I always used to say about my practice, if if uh, I would be happy to have ninety five percent of my patients come as guests to my home for dinner. Mm. Yeah, interesting. In fact, I'm, in fact, you, you're on Facebook. Yeah. So yes. every day, Facebook sends you your memories. Yes. And at the end of the memories, they have a list of, of uh, people who, how long you've been friends with them that joined you on that day. Right. And I keep looking at this, this list, and there's people there who, who I never see on my Facebook feed, but they're by patients from ages ago, like 11 years ago, 12 years ago. And I'm thinking, gosh, they still, they're still have the ability to follow me on, on, on Facebook. But, and others of I, I, I communicate with some of my patients who were, weren't even friends of mine on Facebook when they were my patients, they became my friends after I retired. Yeah, and yeah. And, and and that's what I like. That I, I like that uh, that sense of of family that I have that I still have with these people who used to be my patients. That's really commendable because you know, uh, uh, we being uh, Dennis busy from nine to six or whatever we are working, 
and then we are able to communicate with the patients in a very friendly you know you know in a in a good environment it, it's hard it's really hard to follow it up and especially with the memories it makes it better so um <laughs> now going back to your coaching what is the what is a typical result can somebody expect of your coaching you know uh, one is typical result uh, give us uh, two extremes um and obviously the average one extreme is you know you made only so much uh return in terms of your coaching versus the most extreme where they made the maximum return from your coaching versus the average all the three so i originally started off just doing private coaching but now what i tend to do uh is i do some group coaching and some private coaching okay. and the 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 clients who are private clients uh can feed into the group coaching at no cost because that's actually a lower um right. it's a lower fee to be in the group coaching plus the group coaching is there anyway so it's 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 a bonus for the private clients for their teams to be in there uh the other thing that I'm working on at the moment panks is uh with my wife who worked in my front office she's probably Australia's uh number one um authority on uh phone answering Hmm. Uh, dental phone answering and so she's got a uh, a business where uh, she uh, she listens to calls she uh, uh, talks to uh, the practices twice a month she has a group coaching as well and um, she's really helping them improve that and uh, and we also offer uh, those clients for a small fee to upgrade into the our group coaching so we've got a, a number of options um, in in terms of what we do in terms of private coaching my best result was a a, a female dentist who came to me her practice was doing $700,000 a year mm-hmm. and which is about just under 60,000 a month and within 4 months we had her to $100,000 a month mm-hmm. and in 20 months she was doing 150,000 a month or 1.8 million cool. um because she just hadn't seen the logical way to take the next step with her practice she was very coachable um right. she she understood everything she did everything uh she implemented things and she she understood the results that she was getting um so i worked with her for two and a half years mm. and she was mm. an outstanding client but i i i also work in some really bizarre um <laughs> practice relationships you know i've i've, I've been hired by practices who have just done a refit and have uh, you know I remember I actually worked with a practice in um upstate Pennsylvania and uh they had just done a refit or rebuild relocate uh, they had seven hygienists hmm. and they only had three front office receptionists they had two dentists wow. guess what happened every hour you had a bottleneck you had seven yeah. hygiene patients coming out every hour and only yeah. and, and two So they had nine patients coming out, it's being changed over and only three people to deal with them and they said we never even thought of that. How do we get these people to make their appointments, pay comfortably? I said you it's like shopping at uh Walmart. You know, you go to the checkout, there's only three registers open and there's eight closed. You've right. just done the same thing. He's going, "How do I fix that?" He's looking at building a basement to actually check people out. So sometimes that's hiring me too late. Sometimes I look at designs and say, "Why don't you do this?" And in fact that that client I was telling you about they redesigned their um their reception and and office area based on my philosophy of keeping 
um, keeping uh, financial transactions and appointment uh, making separate from the audience of people waiting for treatment, which is, you know, you, you know the movie Coming to America with Eddie Murphy? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, in the barbershop? Where, where everyone in the barbershop's listening. That's what a dental waiting room is like often. They've got people people paying bills, standing up. Everyone's listening. What? Oh, at least they're not talking about, not talking about um, uh, medical conditions. You know, oral conditions is probably a lot easier. But So there's that. But I, I recently worked with a client. She, um, she had a practice, a hobby practice. Um, her building that she was in, she's in a multi-story building, she was having to uh, leave the floor. The owners were renovating the floor and not putting dentists back in there. She purchased a dental practice in that building from a, an older dentist um, who was not ready to retire but had to sell as a, as a, a divorce right. process. Yeah. So he actually stayed on mm. in that practice. She became the owner of the practice. He became her employee. She went. She said, I'm going to redesign. Do this. I said, you're going to go in there. He's working twice as, as well as you, you're going to go in there, you're going to occupy a room in the corner and you're going to let him keep doing what he's doing. And mm. I actually had to, to restrain her and the end result was that the combined practice was doing um, 20% better than the addition of the two mm. original practices. Okay. So that was with – he had three rooms. All of a sudden he had to give one up to her. Right. But he was still producing more. He was working less. She was working a little bit better, but the combination worked really well. So I'm 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 very good at 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 um, I'm very good at uh, helping a practice, looking at what a practice has, finding out where they want to take it, and and helping them go that way, which may not be your standard way. Um, so I say my average result. You know, they people pay me. Um, you know, around forty-five, fifty thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. as a as a, but I'll get them a result. I'll get them a result of between a hundred and a hundred and fifty thousand in the first year. Mm. But that's ongoing. That's permanent. You know, I've created a permanent habit of improvement. Right, I'm right. not a quick sort of guy. Um, you know, the the changes that I implement are, are, are you can't. You know. It's like seeing it's like seeing something and you say I can't unsee that. Well, you can't unlearn what I teach them. Right, right, right. Um, right, right. So basically, it's an ongoing lifetime value of your coaching, as you're saying. Uh, just like a lifetime value of a patient, you uh, a patient comes into our office as long as you've done a good job, he or she is gonna keep coming to you, keep getting uh, some dental work done, so you keep getting some uh, uh, profit out of his him being the first patient in the office. Uh, something on the same lines, lifetime value of the coach in a way, I would say. A, a, de- a dental coach, a business coach, even outside of dentistry, um, is something really valuable because it's, it's I, I hear, in fact, my wife even gets it with people in her business. They say, yeah, we want to we do your uh, call tracking, but we want to know what happens when we stop. How do we get, get our numbers back? And I said, yeah, that's like, that's like saying, I'm going to go on a diet I'm going to lose 10 pounds, but then I'm going to start eating cakes and drinking soda and, and pies and stop exercising, you know. It, it's not, you're not going to keep that 10 pounds off. Right. You know, the bad stuff's going to come back. And so the habits that you form, you know, even if you move on from my coaching, you'll move on to other coaching. Right. That it's, you know, it's, you, you, beca- you become a – you can't undo 
the mental um, improvement that you get from releasing yourself from the burdens that you've had of either not doing anything or having a bad coach. I, as I said in my story, I had a bad coach for six months, but mm-hmm. I didn't say all, coach, all coaches are bad. I just said, he's not my coach. I need to find the right coach. Right, right. That makes sense. Great. Interesting. So uh, that's that's great. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure people uh, can really read and listen about Ultimate Patient Experience uh, uh, in all your other podcasts. I don't want to touch that. You've, you've uh, touched those topics in you know, 10 other, other podcasts. Uh, certainly, uh, for people who don't know about Ultimate Patient Experience, I would recommend, uh, for just for the uh, for the time, uh, to go to theupe.com, which is ultimatepatientexperience.com, and uh, we can uh, you can learn a lot about uh, you know Dr. David Moffat's uh, experience. But uh, just to just for the taste of what you do, uh, could you give us some uh, interesting points which you have not touched? Uh, in the UPE yet uh, for our audience? Uh, some simple, important, uh, simple points that you can touch upon. Well, I, th- I think the, the number one difference, uh, and I did mention it uh, briefly, mm-hmm. uh, is that you've got to look at your business from the customer's point of view. You know, things that, things that I see in dental practices that uh, are killing the business is that... Uh, the dentists and the staff don't even enter or leave the building through the same door that the customers do. And they wonder why uh, customers don't come back, patients don't come back. You know, the, 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 the appearance of their facility is uh, untidy, it's dirty, uh, it's, you know, they have um, dirty glass, they have dirty finger marks on, on walls. Mm-hmm. It, they don't even see that because they're, they're too busy being bothered with um, the processes that they're doing inside the mouth. Right. And sometimes they don't even see that they have dirty vents, that they have dirty, that they have worn out magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and thanks. When you look at it from the patient's point of view, um, there's a lot of the, I, I call it the forgotten um, building block is the, the building block. Uh, when the, there's two, when the patient arrives, and before they go down for treatment, because you could be the greatest dentist in the world and have the greatest marketing, but that patient comes in and they're left on their own like a shag on a rock, and they hear uh, bad conversations in the office between the receptionist and people they're talking to on the phone, the receptionist and other staff, the receptionist and other patients, and they've already made up their mind, I don't care how good this dentist is, I'm just going to get in, have my teeth cleaned, have my teeth checked, and then I'm going to go somewhere else. Right. And nobody knows why. Because that the, the 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 patient has been neglected. When when my wife was um, able to rejoin the workforce, when my children were old enough to find their own way home from school, right. I said, "You need to come and be a uh, a concierge at my office. I need you to schmooze with my patients. I need you to look <laughs> after them, you know, sit with them, visit with them, uh, chat with them. Yeah. So that when they come in, looking forward to their dental treatment of, of, of sorts, what happens is that uh, with the schmoozing, they stay on this level. So when they go down for their treatment, they're mentally at that same level. When they're left alone, they sink. And, and all of a sudden, the dentist and the dental nurse have to try and lift them back up. Well, sometimes mm. they've already drowned. And so you've really, you know, and people say, well, I can't afford the staff. Well, guess what? You're losing more business than the $20 an hour it costs you to have 
a concierge out the front doing that work. Yeah, mm. I I'd see dental practices where where you know my wife's got a client at the moment. Yeah, they don't even have somebody answering the phone. So when the phone rings or somebody comes to the front door, dental assistant stops, takes the gloves off, dentist has to stop doing work. I'm thinking twenty bucks an hour, twenty five dollars an hour. And you've got the phone answered, you've got patients greeted, you've got patients talked to, you don't have to break from your treatment. You're going to do you're going to do $20 an hour worth more dentistry just by having an extra pair of hands answering the phone doing that. And they don't see that. Right. They say, when I get busy, I'm going to do that. Well, throughout my career, what I did was I thought, well, we, if we put on an extra staff member, let's see what happens. And within three months, we were busier. Yeah. When I went from... I'll tell this story. When I was looking at getting out of dentistry, I went from four days to three days. When I decided to stay in dentistry, I went back to four days. And to go back from four, three to four, it took me one month to have mm. that fourth day full again. Wow. Because you 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 expand you 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 by creating capacity, you can create by creating availability, you can create capacity. But if you don't. If, if you put restrictions on in terms of staff and hours, you will choke your business. I understand. Yeah, yeah. No, completely agree. I remember uh, there was a time when we were uh, hiring a new assistant. And uh, so we had some uh, new assistant for uh, six weeks, uh, you know, to start with. We actually had the same result, as you just said. You know, we were able to squeeze in more patients. We were able to do better dentistry quicker. There was somebody to take care of. I wasn't really scared that, you know, uh, the patient had, there was nobody around the patient, you know, uh, after anesthesia or whatnot. So I wasn't really uh, worried about a patient in a way because the other assistant was, you know, hanging around, I should say, with that other patient. So we had more uh, more uh, revenue in that particular uh, six weeks, I should say, in total. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, so... Um, so basically, uh, we need to have uh, we need to have every aspect from the from the beginning, from the from the moment the patient enters into the office to the patient leaving the same door. We should have some form of uh, a concierge, or in in a way, every little thing which the patient or the patient might look, might talk, might see um, should be should be planned to make it better each step of the way i'd even extend that to your mm -hmm. marketing as well so there, okay. there has to be a congress from the moment that they they see your marketing be it your business card be it your mm. your uh, your uh, letterbox drop be it your advertisements right. uh, your video your facebook there has to be congruence and you're right once they're in the practice Nobody should be left alone. No patient mm -hmm. should ever be left alone. Right. Uh, your processes have to be that you are ready for everything that that patient is going to have done in the treatment room. If you if you have forgotten something, you wait for somebody to come by. You have enough staff that that the dental assistant can then leave, but not leave the patient alone. When I when I when I left my practice, I started working um, before I had my shoulder surgery. I, I did a little bit of work with uh, a dentist. Uh, they were 600 yards from my home, which mm -hmm. is a long way away from my other practice. And some of my patients were traveling this distance across town. And I remember one patient was coming in for two crowns. So um, $4,600 worth of dentistry, 
and the, the, the staff brought the patient in and then left the patient in that room on their own mm. before I came in. You know, they came and told me, oh, your patient's in now. And when I went in there, the patient's sitting looking at a wall. I'm thinking, they're about to spend $4,600 and we can't even talk to them. Right. You know, what, and what were the staff doing? They weren't doing anything. Exactly. You yep. can't neglect. You can't neglect. So the patient should the patient should never feel that they are they not being looked after. Mm. Never. Mm. Never. Got it. Got it. That's interesting. So uh, um, I'm sure not everybody can hire you, afford to hire you as a coach or a mentor. Uh, what other pearls that you have for the offices uh, that you can offer? Uh, who can uh, change, you know, you certainly talked about not leaving the patient alone, concierge, uh, any, any other pearls that you think is uh, the most important that they should be focusing on to get the best results uh, in this podcast well, for, for the audience? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the easiest thing for them to uh, realize is that every person out there, no matter um, who they are, is wearing, this is Mary Kay Asher, this, they're wearing an invisible sign that says, uh, make me feel important. And mm. that's what we've got to do. We've got to, we've got to make our patients feel important. The other thing is that in the dental office, we've got to also implement the, uh, the five foot rule. And that is that if we come within five foot of another human being, we need to visually and verbally acknowledge that human being. Uh, and, and I used to see it. We had a long corridor from our treatment rooms down to our, our, front office and sometimes a staff member would walk past and actually look the other way and not even say hello to the other staff member <laughs> let alone the patient that was with them yeah. i'm thinking you can't do that we, we aren't this is not um yeah the, the community that i lived in in sydney when i went out walking uh for my morning walks um 80 of people would say hello I, I never knew their names but i always knew oh that's that person there they are and of course in, in the suburbs you've got to do that because if you ignore that person and pretend you didn't see them, guess what? You walk around the corner and they're there. They've, they've walked around the block the other way. You know, it's all of a sudden. So you've got to, where I live in the country when I walk, I can't see who's driving past because of the angle of the windscreens, but I wave at everybody because I, it's, it's just part of – there's no harm in being yeah. friendly. Yeah. There's no harm in being friendly. But when, when, when people are uh, purposefully unfriendly or uh, discourteous, yeah. People notice yeah. that. Mm. People notice that. Sure. Interesting. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for that, Paul. That really helped. Now, um, now, I was while researching about uh, Dr. David Moffat. I came to know uh, that you are a radio announcer too. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is the story about that? Is that your side gig, or dentistry is your side gig? Tell me. Uh, this is. <laughs> This is a really interesting story. So in 2012, uh, I was at a, a Chamber of Commerce meeting and there was a, a young lady there who had a business radio program on a community radio station and she was looking for a male co-host. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm in business. I'm a member of the Chamber of Commerce. So she said, well, you can be my co-host. So I worked with her for um, about a month and then she said to me, she said, look, I'm, I'm deciding to go back to do it myself again. And so I asked the community radio station if they had any other shifts because I was really enjoying it. They okay. said, yeah, well, we've got a, we've got a drive time radio shift if, on a Friday afternoon. I said, well, that'll work really well for me. 
So I was doing three hours of drive there. But if you wind the clock back when I was at high school, uh, when it was time to choose your career, my first career choice was actually to be a radio announcer. <laughs> and and my vocational guidance uh, teacher said, oh, you're too smart to work as a radio announcer. You should be capitalizing, be a doctor or a vet or a dentist. And so that was shelved. Mm. So I worked at that radio station in 2012 for about a year and um, I had difficulty working with the um, the station manager. It was all voluntary. Yeah. And the station manager was uh, was not liked by many people. Okay. And uh, and I had a, 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 a discussion with him and I said, look, I'm meant to be doing this for fun and at the moment it's no fun. I'd already been elected onto the, the board for that that organization but because they have a very low budget annual budget um you know people were thinking they were running the united nations and and they weren't and so i left there and then i started doing some work at a a a station near my home and i did a shift there and then the first station uh which was near my work um uh, the that station manager moved on and somebody invited me back so i was actually working at both of them okay for a while Mm. i'm doing three shows um, so I was doing two breakfasts and one evening, and uh, so, and then when we moved, so you're still doing them. That's what, right? I was still doing them then. Okay. Okay. But, All right. But uh, then we went. Then we we sold our um, we sold our Sydney home and we moved to our our country home. And I thought, oh, I'll just go up and stay with my kids and do those shows. Well, I lasted about two months. It was just too exhausting. You know, I was doing Monday night. Um, then having a quick sleep, doing Tuesday breakfast, staying in Sydney and doing Wednesday breakfast, driving home, and it was, it was, it was going to kill me. And yeah. I'd already gotten a position doing radio at a station down near my home. Okay. And and so I, I still do that on a Thursday night. So yeah. that's uh, tomorrow night. Um, and I just go in. I play music that I like. I I talk about topics uh, that I think are topical. Um, and put a little bit of a slant on them. So, you know, at yeah. the moment we've got our bushfires, we've got uh, yeah. whether, they're, whether they're caused by climate change or whether Bette Midler's comments about our Prime Minister were appropriate. Um, yeah. All, all this sort of stuff. What, sure. what, what about what William and, um, not William, uh, what Meghan, um, Markle. And Meghan are doing at the moment, destroying the royal family, uh, that sort <laughs> of stuff. Uh, we're doing bushfire relief. So last week I spoke with um, one of our, our rural fire chiefs. Uh, they're volu- yeah. That's voluntary. We don't have enough people down here to yeah. to to service the fires. Sure. The fires here, the fires here are eight times the fires that California had last year. Yeah. And we have our population is sixty percent of California. Our whole Australian population is sixty percent of California. So, uh, and it's spread around the country. So, Easily, yeah. we, we we just we just we're praying for rain. Rain's the only thing that's going to yes. stop these fires yeah. and put them out. We've got some rain forecast uh, the next couple of days, but it was so hot and so dry. So I love yeah. doing the music. Great. So uh, um, I understand. Uh, but yeah, Australian fires were really. Um, I mean, to be honest, when when the fire started, I was like, "All right, this is this is like any other fire, it'll it'll be okay." But when it didn't really <laughs> went down after a couple, one or two days, I was like, "Oh, this is bad. This is this was really bad." Um, but I'm so sorry, uh, uh, you know, especially especially for the endangered uh, animal species which we have uh, in Australia. 
um i feel really bad i mean i am a i'm a animal lover i have a dog of my own a golden retriever so i feel more i feel worse uh anytime anytime i see something like that um we had uh, these fires have been burning for months and yeah. uh, where i live we li- we live in a, a a pastoral community okay. but i have i have some um i've some tall um gum trees nearby eucalypts that would burn Yeah. Uh, the fires are about 20 miles from me, but okay. they're they're separated from me by by a fair amount of uh, grazing land, and because there's not much grass on those grazing land because it's been so dry, it's right. all been eaten. So the fire won't advance, but it's the embers. You know, if the embers float in the wind, in strong winds, they can start fires well ahead of yeah. of where the front is. Sure. So we've had some. We've had some days here. I never thought that I would be worried about fires near my home. I've still got some clearing to do, which I'll have to do next uh, winter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to just clear out where those uh, where the uh, I'm about about forty yards this way from my house is about fifty maybe fifty sixty meters wide of of bush and about twenty meters deep. I've got to get in there and just clear the undergrowth out so mm-hmm. that yep. my cattle can in there because it's the undergrowth that that burns but anyway sure. um got it i'm thinking i'm thinking we're not in a danger situation but one of my friends uh he just moved he lives in this community and he moved um from a suburban part of of our area to a rural part mm. and, and and within a month he's had to evacuate his house wow. because of the fires coming close to his house so yeah sure. um that's a scary bit i'm sorry sorry about australia and the fires yeah um yeah so uh so basically you're still uh, a radio announcer uh, what is your radio uh, is it fm uh, what channel is that it's uh, it's it's fm so if people uh, want to um, listen at all it's hard it's hard for you guys to listen because it's um it's usually it's between 6 and 8 in the morning uh, in the night so uh, in I think that works out. <laughs> That'd uh, be four a.m. for us. Yeah, that it finishes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's easier when we go to uh, when we fall back and you you uh, spring forward. Then it's easier. You, it's a little bit earlier. Yeah. It's a little bit more um, later in your morning, or sure. you know, it's breakfast time. But right. uh, it. it's Highland F- highlandfm.org.au. and. One hundred seven point one. So you can get it on if you've got uh, the TuneIn app or a radio app. You can you can stream it live, or you can just listen islandfm.org.au. But you're right; it's uh, it would be on in um, three and a half hours tomorrow. Sure. Tomorrow for you, it's the middle of the night. That's yeah. What's that? Two o'clock in the morning, two till four. <laughs> right. All right. Thank you. Uh, but that was very interesting. Um, uh, a dentist. So you know, uh, a dentist who is a radio announcer. You know, I think that's that's pretty, uh, pretty interesting uh, thing. Um, reminds me of uh, Jonathan Van Horn. Uh, I don't know if you heard the podcast uh, that is sef- uh, session number three uh, with the Jonathan Van Horn. He is a CPA, but he's a dental CPA. But on top of that, he was the opening band for Maroon when he was playing bands. So it was. Oh wow! Yeah. All right. Um, I know uh, we are running short of time. Uh, you have another meeting coming up soon. 
So I am going to ask you some quicker questions, which are based on Tim Ferriss. Um, sure. So one of the questions I have is uh, the morning ritual and best practices that you use uh, to be successful. Do you have any morning ritual? I, I think every, um, every successful practice needs to have uh, morning huddles. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's funny, I was at my dentist on um, yesterday mm-hmm. for my hygiene visit, and I got in, I said, uh, I said to the receptionist, have you had your huddle? And she goes, uh, no, we have people start at different times, which was her excuse that they don't have a huddle. Mm-hmm. And our, our huddles weren't based about what we were doing because we know what we're doing because we can read the appointment book. What our huddles were based about was sharing of um, social information about the patients from people who knew those patients to people who didn't. So the hygienist might tell, uh, give an update for the restorative team about a patient that she might have seen recently in hygiene that was now coming back for some restorative work. Or me as the practice owner, I know a lot about all the patients. Great, so great, great. I would say, you know, when you talk to this patient, talk about this, talk about this, because this is this is their backstory. Right. So huddles are important about creating that social backstory um, uh, so that, Patients feel like they're more than just a, a set of teeth and a credit card. That we are actually interested in them, and that was the the whole purpose. So sometimes with a huddle, they drift in agenda to people just saying, "Oh, you're going to do an MOD, a DO, or what?" I go, "No, no, that's not. I can read that. What I want to know is what I want to know is um, um, have we? Yeah, what, what's happening with her daughter? You know, what's happening with her parents? What's happening there?" The other, the other thing, of course, which is really important with the huddle is everybody's going to know, you know that the lab works back. If it's, if it's not back, why is the person confirmed? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that, that's, but but you know, if you don't know what you're doing, if you've got no idea what you're doing, you, know, you finish one patient and go, all right, what am I doing now? Whereas at least if you, you've had a rundown, you kind of know kind of where you've got to steer yourself through the practice. And time is money sure. um, you know, for, for efficiency. And I don't say that because I, I want people to make money every minute, but um, it, if if you turn the if you turn the engines off on the Queen Mary, it takes a long time to start them back up again. And we all know that in dentistry, if we all of a sudden have no patient for an hour, hour and a half, it's really hard to just get back going again. Yeah, Whereas, that's true. Yeah, we 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 want to make sure that we move. We can we can we can move with purpose throughout the day and right. that we and that every day is structured to end up with the same financial result so that we have balance in our in our in our days our weeks our months so we know that we can pay our bills we can pay our staff and right. we can pay ourselves great uh, thank That's you a, sorry that was a short answer to that question you can take as Next much time question. i'm only concerned about your time i'm awake i'm i'm open uh, for the whole night if you have time but uh, anyways take your time uh, so any uh, any purchase or the best purchase that you made between $100 to $300 that impacted your life in a positive way? I would probably say that, um, you, you know that Jerry Seinfeld said that uh, your father all of a sudden stops buying clothes and he becomes a museum piece for a certain year of uh, of clothing. You know, he just keeps wearing that until he dies. Um and I've got a similar belief with uh, with music, and, and that is that 
uh, a friend of mine sent me a book, A Thousand and One Albums You Must Listen To Before You Die. Okay. And when I went, when I went through that book, most of the albums that I had uh, were in the in the in the nineteen seventies, some in the sixties, and some in the early eighties. But the most current was nineteen eighty four. Hmm. And so in my in my car, I have a six stacker of CDs. Okay. Still have CDs as, as an old car. As an old car, I've had that car eleven years, and I don't think I've changed those six CDs in that eleven years. And they were probably in the car before that, which I had for another six years. Um, so the best thing that I've ever bought would have been the original iPod Shuffle. You know, the yeah. little mini. Yeah. The little mini one that you used to clip on and listen. Yeah. I'd listen to music. You know, when I'm walking, uh, when I was cycling in those days. Right. And you know, I think there's 530 songs on there, and they are just my standard 530 songs. Sometimes I'll I'll drag in something modern once or twice. Yeah. But I just like to be able to put those on and then just listen to the music, concentrate on the beat. Gives me purpose when I walk. Mm. Um, I do a lot of exercise. Um, okay. Thanks, you know, I, uh, and, and I always walk listening to music. Although I live in in uh, in rural where there's nothing to listen to but birds and and Hey, and cows. That's music, music in a way. I so, think the iPod Shuffle is one of the best. <laughs> I don't yeah. even listen to podcasts. You know, I, I like to listen to music rather than than. So, than talk. what kind of music you like the most, and what are your favorite few songs? If you want to share. Oh, good question. So, the music I like is from um, the '60s and the '70s. Mm-hmm. I was a big a big fan of uh, the Beatles. I have uh, have all the all their 210. Um, tracks that they released, I had them mm. on uh, on vinyl, then I had them on CD, then I had them on um, on um, master CD as well. I had a big collection of the Who, uh, the Kinks. I saw live. <laughs> I saw the Pretenders. I still believe the Pretenders' first album is the best ever okay. debut album by any band in the world. Sure. Um, my you know, my son who is 23, he likes listening to. He said, Dad, can you tell me some albums? So. I, I tell him albums. I, I was a big fan of the Born to Run album. Okay. Um, not that big a fan of Bruce as a as a political voice, um, but I think as a poet, I think he's just uh, brilliant. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm, I, yeah, Steve Winwood's voice when he sang uh, "Give Me Some Lovin'" um, with the Spencer Davis group, and he was only seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Morrison, I, I. I love uh, "Touch Me" by The Doors, but I'm not a big fan of other Doors music. Got it. Um, the Knack, My Sharona, the best one-hit wonder of all time, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've seen Dionne Warwick, uh, Michael Bublé. I love yeah. Michael Bublé. My daughter and I go and see Bublé. Yeah. I saw Paul McCartney. I hated Paul McCartney <laughs> for what he did in pulling out of a tour of Australia in um, in um, the 1980s or 90s, but okay. he came back. Um, two years ago, and I, I took my kids. I said, "We're going to see McCartney in Melbourne. We're going to see him in Sydney because yeah. you will never forget that you saw Paul McCartney." But yeah. other people, Elton, Elton's down here at the moment. But I saw Elton thirty years ago, and I don't think he's as good now as he was thirty years ago. Okay, all right. That uh, seems like uh, you know your music for sure. <laughs> my favorite Elton John track, apart from Rocket Man, my favorite Elton John track is the starting song on Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, uh, the Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding. That yeah. is just the the best 12 minutes of, of, of piano and music. It's just great. Great. I'm impressed. Impressed. You, you have uh, 
quite a bit of um, knowledge on the music for sure no wonder you are the radio announcer too <laughs> um now have you uh, have you uh, did you like concerts uh, do you do you visit any concert did you visit one recently or in the past few years um i probably um the best the it's it's hard to say who the best concert so the best concert that i I thought at the time I saw Springsteen when he came to Australia in '85, and that was that was great. I saw Pink Floyd mm. when they came to Australia long after that, and and that was also one of the best. Um, John Cougar Mellencamp when he came down to Australia a few times in the '80s was sensational. I saw Fleetwood Mac in 1980, and they were great. I saw the Pretenders in the early '80s, and they were great. And I saw Chrissy Hind come down here with she did a. A, a dual concert with Stevie Nicks, and Stevie Nicks was no not real good, but Chrissy Hine was just fantastic. Um, the McCartney concert was was great. We have an Australian band called Cold Chisel who were great in the 80s and then disbanded, and they did a um, they did a concert a couple of years ago that went for three hours where they performed. Uh, it was announced as a as their 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 original name which not many people knew and and i went to that and i couldn't hear for a week after that and <laughs> um, and panks if you've done your homework you'll probably understand that i've seen kiss in concert yes. maybe 12 yeah. or 13 times oh, wow. i don't really think they are great musicians i think they are fantastic entertainers yes i love what they were doing in terms of customer service but i've got to tell you um I have been disappointed with how they're starting to cut back on their service mm-hmm. in the, the last couple of years. Um, I've been they do a cruise. I think this year is their tenth cruise. I've been on four of the nine cruises. Wow. Um, it leaves Miami uh, for four or five days. Um, it's been good fun. I've got some friends there, but I, I'm not happy with the agenda this time. And I, I, you know, it's a big expense to to fly over with my wife. You know, it's. Sure. Twenty thousand dollars of airfare before we even get on the cruise. Right. Um, so, uh, but I do, I do. Um, you know, I, I think Kiss music is really basic, really. But I think their marketing is very good, yeah. and I think Jenkins knows knows what to do. So, Again, one of the things about the cruise is how many people have been on all nine cruises. How many yeah. people keep coming back? Yeah. Uh, again, what do they do because really, you would think a ticket off. Don't need to do it. So I did number three, number five, number seven, and number eight. Okay, okay. So, so uh, you said so anyway. uh, they've changed their service. Uh, uh, what are you talking about? I, I'm not sure. What were you hinting towards talking about Kiss and their service? Uh, the- um, well, I, th- I, I think I've written a blog about it recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that impressed me, Mike, the first time I saw Kiss in concert, uh, sorry, I saw them in concert in Australia in 1997. It was the reformation of the original band, and I was surprised at how everything was scripted on stage. You know, mm. They knew where they had to be. They, they moved. I, did, I thought it would be more random, and it was very specific, and I was really impressed in how they spoke to the crowd and worked the crowd up and excited the crowd. I, I did a meet-and-greet package. Um, they were doing a, um, an American tour, and I was able to coordinate to go and see them in Salt Lake City on the way to one of my Chicago meetings. Oh, yeah. And so I did meet and greet package. And then when they came to Australia three years later, I, I went to do that meet and greet package again, where you get to meet them and you get you get a photo taken with them. Well, 
the one in Australia, they then they did a, a mini concert en masse before in the afternoon before you meet and greet and then before they do the big one. And I thought, wow, and they fed us. And then I did another one of those and another one of those and and they just kept adding and adding and adding. Um, and you could get stuff signed. Hmm. Now, there's not so much stuff that you can bring and be signed, whatever. But then they, um, on the cruise, they stopped actually doing the, they, they, they used, used to have a, a day where you could be photographed with them as well. So you had the, I've got photos of me with Kiss, masked, sure. unmasked, I'm wearing different things each time. But the last cruise, they didn't do the, the photo. And then mm -hmm. I heard that the next meet and greets that we were paying for, they were not allowing you to get anything signed. Mm. Well, this next cruise, they're not doing any indoor concerts. Now, normally they do two indoor concerts where they can do half the half the travelers in one, half the travelers in the other. Okay. Well, now they're going to do, they're just going to do concerts on the on the pool deck. Well, the pool deck's lousy because it's it's flat and uh, there are. Um, funnels and all sorts of things in the way you can't yeah, see them you can't see them okay there's no screen okay. it's it's pathetic and mm. i'm thinking you know I, I go for the concert and to meet up with a few people but and 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 the little bit of extras and i don't need any more kiss junk um <laughs> give, you, give you a towel or something like that and yeah. t-shirts you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you got enough I think, maybe uh I you think, know what Maybe you should share one of the pictures of uh, you know you being with Kiss. I think that'll be an interesting uh, picture for our audience. You know, you know. Yeah, you can dig that off. Yeah, they're all on my Facebook page too. But sure. um, yeah, I, I see. So the so the first time I, I I I had a meet and greet photo, I thought they're wearing black. I'm going to wear my 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 football team white jersey. There I stand out. Uh -huh. And and then the next time I went, I thought, well, they're wearing black. I'll wear their, my football team's pink jersey. Yeah. And then the third time I, I met them, which was on one of the cruises, they had the option of having a photo with them with or without the makeup. So I thought, well, I'm going to go without the makeup okay. because they'll be wearing civilians, and then I can wear my football team's black jersey. Uh. So I had that. So then every time I met them, I had to find a new jersey to wear. Um, <laughs> but the best the best kiss story was in um, 2016. Okay. I got invited speak in uh to speak dental in at the the danish dental association in copenhagen mm. Mm. and uh, just after i accepted that gig they were they and they, they were flying my wife and i there and um back uh kiss announced a world tour starting in europe and they were doing i was i think i was working uh saturday morning in copenhagen and the monday they were doing a concert in st petersburg wow and so I rang a friend of mine who's Russian because I couldn't work out the website. And she said, oh, David, that's a really bad part of St. Petersburg. She said, I wouldn't even go there. And I'm Russian. All she right. said, I said, well, the next concert is Helsinki. Okay. And she said, um, she said, well, go to Helsinki. That'll be okay. Yeah. So I, had to, I said to my wife, I, did, I didn't say to my wife that the Kiss were playing. I said, I said, I think we should, while we're in Copenhagen, maybe we should do a couple of days in Stockholm, maybe a couple of days in Helsinki, see what they're like. She goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So we, so we get to Stockholm, and I said, you know how we're going to Helsinki in a couple of days? She goes, yeah. I said, um, I've got something I've got to tell you. I said, uh, we're going to a Kiss concert. And she'd never been to a Kiss concert. She didn't even like Kiss. And she said, if I don't like them, if I see, I said, and it's meet and greet. Well, I'll tell you what, as soon as they found out that we were from Australia, Jean Simmons spent so much time talking to her, and uh. she was from England as well. 
And so it, they knew us. And then when we came back for after after the, the concert and the, the, the mini concert and the autographs, then we went away. They got their makeup on and they, we come back for the, the photos. And as soon as we were lined up, they go, here's the Aussies. Hey. And so, 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 so they actually knew who we were. So that was good fun. They, yeah. so, again, that identification that they, they, they remembered us was, yeah. was good in that sort of because they see so many people. Right. But, um, that was good fun. So, yeah, and they did the photos with – so my wife, they did my wife, then the both of us, then me. So we got three photos Great. with them as well. So nice. that was really good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I know I wanted to ask this question. I completely kind of forgot about it. Um, uh, so I understand you you being a coach in Australia because you did what you did in Australia. Obviously, moving to Chicago, learning through the coaches there makes sense. U.S. is also part of, you know, your future coaching and consultation, consultation. But how did you get up into other countries like Copenhagen and you just Denmark and uh, you've been coached in other countries. How did that happen? How did that start to happen? I think it started because of my book. People started uh, reading my book. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I do publish a blog twice a week. So... Uh-huh. I have people on my mailing list from that people and social media is a great platform for, mm. for finding things. So I, I was surprised to get an invitation from Denmark. We've, uh, my wife and I put on meetings ourselves in the UK. Yeah. Uh, we've had clients in the UK. We've had, um, clients in Italy, uh, New Zealand, India, um, Canada, mm-hmm. U S, um, time zones do work against us in trying to coach some of these because, sure trying to talk to you know we're talking to the english at uh, first thing in their morning which is uh our yeah. evening yeah for us and how did you, you know, how, how did you get your first gig outside these two major countries australia and the u.s uh what were the first country you went to as a coach or a consultant uh well the the uk ones were the, were the ones because uh, my wife is was, was born in england so she has family so we just uh, we just marketed to um, to mm-hmm. audiences over there, but we also did um, joint ventures. You know, we we work well with other coaches. Right. Um, one of the things that I learned from Kennedy, Dan Kennedy, is that uh, sometimes people who are uh, are the customers of of one coach will buy from another coach and buy from another coach, and so we we set up arrangements with some of the other coaches where. If if uh, their clients came to mm-hmm, hear us, mm-hmm. you know, we paid them a commission because okay. that was easier for, for us. And that's something I learned from Ed O'Keefe as well. It, it works well in America. Right. Um, but the, I don't know how the, the Danish people found us. Uh, when, I, when we did a meeting in, in London, we had three Danes in our meeting, um, an Italian, a Spaniard, um, a Polish guy, a uh, couple of Irish, some Scottish. It was all over the place. Cool. It was really, yeah. 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 I'm sorry to uh, cut the story there, uh, but yeah. I, I didn't want to lose this question, which uh, yeah, I wanted sure. to. All right. Uh, yeah. All right. Great. So uh, when you think of a person being successful, who are the two people that come to your mind? I probably, probably, yeah, one, one of the people who I've liked a long time, um, maybe for the last 15 years, which is uh, long before they became a uh, celebrity mm-hmm. uh, and then their current role, 
and that is um, Donald Trump. I've got to I've got to say I've been a big fan of, of of Donald Trump in terms of getting things done. I'm a big fan of what he did in terms of uh, helping to re re energize Manhattan right. uh, when he when he built what is now the you know the Grand Hyatt Hotel. That, I can't believe when you watch documentaries about that how how run down that section of Manhattan is uh, mm. you know, around Grand Central and you, mm. you go there and it's this you know my wife and I do a lot of walking when we're in New York. We 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 have no fear of of running into undesirables. And yet when you watch <laughs> those when you watch Crocodile Dundee and you go oh yeah. gee this New York was like then yeah um, so he he's number he he would be he would be one of those people um sure. um yeah in terms of what was, what was the category what was the Anybody. People that are, yeah, the two people yeah. that comes to your mind. Uh, no category, whatever. Who, whoever you consider to be successful. Well, he, there's one. Uh, the other one, of course, is uh, I. I probably, if I can pinch a third one, I'd say, I'd say Dan Kennedy. Just look him up. Uh, I think he, sure. his uh, philosophy, his books, uh, are great and and they're counterintuitive in business. And the third one, I would go back to Gene Simmons. Okay. Um, Mm-hmm. To 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 build a band uh, and to turn the music industry, you know, they turned the music industry into marketing because mm-hmm. everybody was relying on making money from their music and being ripped off. And they said, well, you know, we want to make money from merchandise. When, right. when I went to that concert in Salt Lake City, they said that Kiss were going to sell the same amount of money in merchandise as they made in ticket sales for the concert. Wow. So, yeah, that that's just doubling your income. Yeah. They're not selling the odd T-shirt. Yeah, you know, everything is different. So, right. and upselling those meet and greet packages. How do you upsell? How mm-hmm. can you have a meet and greet package at your dental practice? You know, how do you have something for the for, for your your elite clients? Sure. So, Gene Simmons, uh, I've read a couple of his books um, on business. He's 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 a smart person. He's right. a smart man. Thank you. Um. So you were talking about books. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Dan Kennedy. Uh, who else? What other books you might have gifted the most, or you've, you know, admired the most? Um, okay, so in the last five years, I think uh, there's a book written by um, Sidney Levine, uh, "Broken Windows, Broken Business." Okay, and that's a great, great book on customer service. That's a really good book on customer service. Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, crush it! Yes, uh, I really enjoy, really enjoyed reading that. Mm-hmm. I was a big fan of Brian Tracy, mm-hmm. um, reading his stuff. Um, I've read a little bit of John Maxwell. Um, I read Simon Sinek's book. I wish I'd I'd uh, I read his book and then I watched his um, seventeen minute TED talk. And I wish I'd watched the TED talk first because it would have <laughs> saved me the hours of reading the book. Yeah. Um, um, now, um, now, what is the one of the hardest decisions you had to make over the past year? Can you walk us through how you came to decide what to do, and what was your thought process there? I think, um, well, one of the most difficult decisions I had to make was um, we we decided to we had two homes, we had two very large homes, and we decided that we. It was now time to sell one of the homes mm-hmm. um, 
still had a significant uh, mortgage on that home the, in Sydney. The Australian market was um, was starting to uh, soften in real estate, uh-huh. and it was time for my wife and I to relocate permanently to our rural home. But in doing that, we had to uh, become empty nesters. We had to move our children into um, accommodation in the city, whereas they had lived in our Sydney home. So we had a, we, had, we had far too many bedrooms for what we needed. But it was sure. difficult to separate the to separate my my children from us. They my children were welcome to come down here to the farm, but there's not much to do down here. <laughs> and so um, you know, employment and employment opportunity is in the city. That was sure. that was. It was difficult, but they are only a phone call or a FaceTime away. Yeah. And whenever we go to Sydney, we stay, you know, we sleep on their couch. Um, <laughs> so, and that's, yeah, that's maybe twice a month. So. Okay. All right. Not bad. That's actually good. Um, all right. Uh, what is, so this is a three-part question. So what is one thing that you're excited about? What is one thing that you've changed your minds on? And what is one thing that you do is absurd or funny? So excited, change your minds, absurd or funny. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about, at the moment, what I'm really excited about is uh, working with my wife on her call tracking business. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife was not a public speaker. Okay. And she... She became a speaker. She was an educator. She was a school teacher before mm-hmm. we were married. Um, but she became a public speaker uh, when she had to deliver her father's eulogy uh, four years ago. And and so she said, well, I'm going to, all right, I'll, I'll start teaching what I know. So mm-hmm. to have helped her now uh, negotiate into this uh, this niche where people need her services is really exciting mm-hmm. um, and, and helping her grow that business because uh, there's not much like it down here and, and even in the US there's there's people who do um, call recordings and transcripts but they funnel their clients into um, automated education whereas ours is is personalized education you know it's yeah. not if you this press button a listen to what to say ours is is you know, you are instructed by a live person so it's something that we're going to offer even to the U.S., uh, but we're going to have we're going to have to try and work with West Coast people mainly because um, of time zones. Time zones, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And us, unless we unless we unless we start employing uh, U.S. employees to to work with us, so that's the excited. Something that I've changed um, in how I think about things, Panks, is that I was very black and white about. Um, People making uh, life a success for themselves, mm-hmm. and that anybody can do that. You know, I came from a humble working class um, family. My, you know, my father and mother both left school uh, to go to work. They didn't. Um, they didn't have uh, tertiary university education. They did that after mm-hmm. their children were born. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very black and white that you can make, you you have to make your own opportunity and that those people that we see uh, who are homeless have also chosen uh, their path. But I'm now much more tolerant of those people that there is a backstory, okay, um, and and accepting that 
that uh, their backstory, that these may be just good people who, for some reason, have been um, uh, bullied and abused by family, uh, by friends, by people that they trusted, and then they had no other option but to end up where they are. And uh, and so I've, I'm much more sympathetic to to the those people that um, they can't help themselves, and mm-hmm. that they that that we do need to we do need to be humane and help those who who want to who want the opportunity to 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 be helped to improve. Um, and sometimes those those people not not only the men, it's the women who who are uh, you know, yeah, you know, they have to leave abusive homes as children. Right. Um, you know, the trust of trust of family has been abused. The trust of a of a of a partner has been abused. They have to take kids with them. It, it's really tough. So I I, sure. I I I have I have become far more um, understanding of of those sort of situations. The third question. Uh, anything that is what you do is either which is absurd. or which is funny like something which people don't know about you that you which is probably funny um i don't know my 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 wife says that i have some um peculiar habits and and behaviors um If there's something that, and I have considered this an answer to a question like this that I've never been asked. So if there is one thing, I do, um, I do have a regular uh, daily intake of uh, vitamin supplements. Okay. Okay. I have I have done that for oh, probably thirty years at least, um, and 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 it's it's quite a cocktail okay. of different things. Um, including uh, things that may just only colour my urine um, and have no effect, but some things that I take for arthritis. But one of the things that I do take is um, fish oil capsules. Okay. And the habit that I have is that rather than swallow them whole, I actually crunch them and burst them <laughs> in my mouth. Um, That's funny. And I, and, I, and 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 not the odorless ones. I actually. Prefer the the full strength. Um, okay. With so <laughs> I chew fish oil tablets, but there's a skill in it because when they you get them straight out of the bottle, um, and they've got those silicon um, bags yes. in there, they're very dry and hard. So what I actually do because I because I'm like a, I'm like a, a I'm like a senior with with a pill box. Okay. Um, I actually. Uh, make up little um, sandwich bags of all my all my vitamins and supplements that I take, and so then I don't have to unscrew you know eight or nine bottles every morning. I just do it like sixteen yeah. days in advance. And I got so if if you do that far enough in advance, the the fish oil capsules actually soften, so they're they're easier to chew with that because the force went here's here's something for you the force that 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 fish oil leaves. The capsule when you burst it with your teeth, you could actually probably almost sell that as a laser for cutting Ooh. soft tissue. It is that powerful. Oh, really? So, uh, <laughs> so there, there's something that probably not many people know. Um, maybe I could market that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. 
thank you that's funny um but i'm going to try uh once i have um, a fish capsule in front of me i'll try that for sure keep your lips keep your lips shut when you do it because if it fires out between your mouth it can mess up your carpet or your clothes it it, oh. it comes out of, it comes out at a at a fair speed i think if you if you had a fish if i had a fish oil capsule in my teeth and i had usain <laughs> bolt beside me yeah in the blocks i reckon that fish oil would come out faster than usain bolt <laughs> that's funny <laughs> all right um <clears throat> if you have a giant billboard such that you could display a great message or a quote for everyone to follow of course not about your company or your podcast nothing uh, what would you like to tell people or the dental ward i think um i think the message the message is simple and that is that uh, if it has been done it can be done um hmm. in business that that's that's a simple message it, yeah again with usain bolt just because he's run so fast i can't run that fast i'm right. physically unable to do that mm-hmm. but in business if if somebody can build a business anybody can build a business because business relies on on um on people right. and you can you can employ the right people to create a successful business just look at mcdonald's right and chick-fil-a right. and chick-fil-a, Chick-fil-A. Look, at mm-hmm. Chick- look at chick-fil-a the it is chick-fil-a franchises are more profitable than mcdonald's exactly and they don't they don't work sundays they don't work sundays right i know i know so, you know that's interesting uh, i think they're very religious and uh, uh that's how they that's how they work great thank you uh that was a uh um, people people eat chicken on sundays <laughs> they do they do but i think uh, uh the company is very religious uh the owners or whatever uh, and they say you should not work on sunday you should go to church and things like that so that's why they and don't sell it i think it's it's a day of rest they follow they follow the the belief that sunday is a day of rest and uh yeah, and yet they the franchises are so popular i i i actually did i actually did a um a tour of the Chick-fil-A headquarters in Atlanta. Okay. And uh, and uh, that again uh I've I've done tours of um uh, Zappos. Yeah, I love Zappos. Yeah, that's a good story. They're old and they're new one, but Chick-fil-A was really good. Their culture, their culture is very good. Okay. Um so um right. Yeah, I I I sought that out and uh, and took that opportunity. All right. Um Uh, if you could go back in your career or life and change one decision what would that be i had uh, fork in the road decisions are um are um you always wonder what would have happened if i'd have done sure um this instead of that so i guess the biggest the, the biggest fork in the road that i had in dentistry was uh, after I had planned at the end of my first year of working as a dentist that a friend and I were going to uh leave Sydney and go and work uh, in the United Kingdom on the national health become national health dentist mm-hmm. and go, go and work in dentistry over there. Um I guess I was naive because I was left-handed so I didn't even think that that was going to be an issue. Mm. But uh what happened was that uh two or three months before we had intended to depart 
um, I met a girl and uh, decided that uh, I wasn't going to go, and so my friend didn't go either. Um, uh, that uh, that girl, because of that girl, I then got another job. Then I got rid of that girl, so my life was completely different. That was a, that was certainly a fork in the road um, situation for me. My friend, uh, he and I had a, a week away in Queensland, and on that week away, uh, because we weren't because we weren't um, going overseas, on that week away, he met his wife. So. <laughs> That was a fork in the road there. The other thing, of course, Panks going back is that um, maybe I really wish that I had uh, not listened to that vocational guidance person and that I had had uh, followed a career in radio. But back then, I didn't have the people skills um, mm. that I have now. You know, I developed those people skills from working part-time jobs while I was at university. Right. Um, where, where, you know, I was a barman um, and I was in retail. I had to learn how to communicate with people so I could sell them stuff. So, um, you know, I think you end up with multiple paths, but th th those are two forks in the road that okay. um, my life could have been completely different. Great. Um, now, uh, oh, sorry, one, I have one more. Okay. I wish I, I, wish I, I, wish I never took up smoking. I smoked for uh, six years. Okay. From the age of 18 to 24. Mm. Um, in fact, I just worked out. Uh, I worked out that I had that I'm nearly up to six. Sorry, I'm nearly up to 60% um, of my life has gone since I gave up smoking. Um, but I wish that um, I wish that I'd never smoked for that six years. So you know, I haven't smoked for 30, 30, 36 years. But I wish that those six years I hadn't smoked. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, uh, pretty emotional. I know uh, talking about that. Um, now, do you have before we part, before we wrap up, do you have anything for our audience? Uh, do you want to say something to them? Do you want to? Do you have any message for them? If they have any, um, if they have any interest, if they'd like to talk to me, they can. Um, they can download my free report. Um, if they go to uh, www.upe, sorry, no, it's sorry. If they go to www.ultimatedentalreport.com, ultimatedentalreport.com, that's the easiest way. If they want to talk to me about their practice um, and they've heard enough of, of me already just talking to you, then they can go to www.upeapp.com. And answer me a few questions about their practice, and I can organise a time to have a chat with them. Um, other than that, hit me up on LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, they're my main two. Instagram. Um, follow me, you know, David Moffat, M O W F E T. So it's like E T phone home or with one T. Yeah. Or <laughs> or Moe, you know, like the champagne with two F's in the middle. That's the easiest way. But easy to find me on on social media. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Moffat, for your time. Uh, I've enjoyed the chat, thanks. So thank you. Um, yeah, time just went really quickly. I'm surprised that we've actually been speaking for so long. But um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Would you like to get a really small email a couple times a month to see what hashtag POD is up to? What are we reading? What are we listening to? What are we doing? 
what's stupid, funny, entertaining, and some weird stuff that we gotten ourselves into, then go to podcastsofdentistry.com slash extra. E-X-T-R-A. That's right. Podcastsofdentistry.com slash extra. And you will get a really small email from us to give you that little extra kick and keep you busy exploring the world we travel. You can also find us on Facebook at podcastsofdentistry.com slash Facebook. Thank you for listening. Hashtag POD. And I'll see you inside.